0: Welcome to Insert Title here, the podcast powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we invite leaders to come in and discuss some of the biggest challenges facing industry. This week, we're talking about NFTs, not just what on earth are they, but what are the hidden environmental costs. We're thinking about the supply chain issues involved in footwear, and is it really sensible to block out the sun? Surely there's some other solutions to creating a sustainable world. My name's David Savage, I'm the Group Technology Evangelist at the Harvey Nash Group. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the third episode of Insert Title Here. I should explain that the podcast is called Insert Title Here because leaders don't need titles. Our last guest last week was a bit confused and thought that I just misnamed the entire thing, but here we go. Uh, I'm joined by three more guests. Uh, We've got Michael, CEO and co-founder of Hilo Shoes, Shahad, uh, CEO and founder of Open Bricks, and Amber joining us from Harvey Nash. Very quickly, uh, Michael, Hilo Shoes. Who are Hilo Shoes?
1: Um, we are the sports brand for Planet so we made a um, sustainable running shoot and that's, that's it
0: and if anyone's been watching the Premier League and, and seen Patrick Bamford score goals which he's actually done pretty consistently this year after every goal he does a high-low, a high-low celebration
1: he does the bowl, yeah he's, um, he's been a very effective ambassador for us because um, I think even Pat himself has uh, been surprised at the rate would be scoring so uh, every time <laughs> he does it's, it's great marketing for us
0: very useful indeed uh, Shahad you're not a Leeds fan I'm pretty sure from, from memory and correct me if I'm wrong because this could go horribly wrong you're Arsenal aren't you
2: yeah absolutely Yeah, um, yeah I, I, right. I, I don't have any should I say I mean I, I kind of like uh, Leeds because a few times when we're having that big battle with Manchester United um, Leeds were the ones that really put a dent in that title race for us so uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of respect there especially with David O'Leary was managing up there um, so there's a um, there's, there's always a, a little bit, there's a, there's a love there, I suppose for Lee. um, but yeah, I definitely want to speak to you about uh, running shoes cause I'm in the middle of wanting to buy some running shoes right now. So that, that is uh, great, so yeah, uh, by the way, I'm not CEO of, uh, Open Bricks. Um, I'm the founder. Yes. But I think we hired a better CEO cause ah. I'm the, I'm the techie. I'm the innovation yes. guy. I, I, I can yes, build right. stuff, but I can't sell it. Um, which is probably why I don't understand how people are selling <laughs> NFTs. But <laughs> who, who are
0: OpenBricks though? Who, who, you know, what, what... Um, So
2: OpenBricks is where a we're a property portal um, platform that provides uh, tenants with a decentralized ledger of their rental history. Um, they're, and they're, every time they make payments, they are able to get keep a record of their rental payments, rental history. Credit history, all of that sort of thing. Their document storage, um, they're able to pre-reference and pre-do a lot of the hard work um, before they go into a stage and looking for a property. Um, and w- for the property, for the agent sides, we allow them to decentralise that property portal market, so they they're in control of that connection between the landlord, the tenant, and themselves. Um, so it kind of puts all of those kind of players together. Right now, it's quite dispersed, and there's a lot of People blaming each other for something not working, but if you stuck everyone on a big WhatsApp group, you can actually see who's doing what and whose fault it is, and that's kind of what we've done. We've kind of put yeah. all of the property actors on a on a decentralized network.
0: And last but by no no means least, Amber. Uh, last week I was joined by Renali uh, from our from our San Francisco office, but you're a bit closer to home. You're in London, or or at least when it's not the pandemic, you're in London.
3: Yes, yeah. True. I haven't got a flashy title like these guys, though. Maybe I should just sort of brand myself as like CEO of Barbie Nash or something. I just, <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. I'm a lot closer.
0: <laughs> I'd love it if you did. We'd see if Bev noticed and uh, and told you that that was probably stepping on her shoes.
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe I should just try. It. Maybe I'll like change my LinkedIn and see how it goes down. I can't imagine it goes down too well, but um, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just call myself the techie, so I'm not I'm not anything <laughs> major there. <laughs> Right. Okay. First
0: article. We've, we've talked a little bit about NFTs. They're obviously all over the news right now. Um, there was an article in the verge about the fact that gorillas have reached an, uh, sorry, released rather an NFT to accompany their new album. Um, I'm a bit confused by all of this, if I'm perfectly honest, Um, especially as it's coming, as the article points out, from a band whose last album, or not last album, I don't think, but one of their previous albums was called Plastic Beach and was all about the uh, ecological disaster being wrought on the planet. Um, First of all, Shahad, for anyone who's who's listening who doesn't understand
2: what an NFT is, I mean, what is an NFT? Okay, uh, NFT, non-fungible token. So, for example, the clearest way I can explain it is if I gave you a pound coin, to you David and I said well I want that pound coin back not another pound coin that exact pound coin right you could give me any other pound coin and there's no way of me knowing if it was that exact one right so you could just give you could take that pound coin and 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 give it back to me and there's I I wouldn't be able to know right whereas if I gave you a five pound note and I said I want that exact five pound note, I could easily know just from the serial number so that's basically what a non-fungible token is. Non-fungible token is the five pound note. There's no other replicant of that five of that pound note, whereas a fungible token is a pound coin, right? There's hundreds and millions of them and there's no way of knowing which ones are. They all got the queen's head. They've all got the other thing on the other side. 50p, 20p, they're all fungible coins because they're the same. Non-fungible tokens are not the same. That, that is all the difference between an NFT and an FT, Anyone tries to tell you otherwise, they're trying to sell you something and trying to make anything more complex. Like anything, if you, if you don't understand something, you make it more complex. If you understand it well enough, it's very simple. And that's all the difference is between that. So
0: what on earth, I mean, I know the article doesn't <laughs> actually say, but what on earth are, are the gorillas releasing here? Because they can't surely be creating millions of unique items to
2: sell to individuals. Absolutely, that's exactly what we're doing. So if I, if imagine the CD, every single CD has a has a serial number, right? So if you have a limited edition of a number of CDs, I can create the limited number of CDs. Now, if I was to create another CD, got my CD burner and made another one, well, that serial number would be different and someone could look back and say, hang in a minute, that's not one of the original CDs we launched in our limited edition because that's not got the serial number. So that would be one of the distributors, right? That would be Warner Brothers and that sort of thing. And if you remember there were limited edition CDs being released for tens, <laughs> tens of years, like a lot of time people said, we've only got a thousand of these CDs and they're individually marked. Well, that's a non fungible token right there. Right? So, and those had value, just like any others. Like this weekend, you saw Nike, some guy released Nike 666, you know, thousands. I mean, I bought the Arsenal uh, Arsenal T-shirt 424. There was a limited amount of them, and they all have a number of serial numbers, right? So that is a non-fungible. Essentially, that serial number is a non-fungible token. I can now sell that on eBay because now they're, they're getting up because there's only a limited amount. So that... Concept has existed for a long time. I'm sure if Hilo released a, a limited edition number of um, sneakers made by Jay-Z, well, guess what? Those things, they'll probably sell it for a hundred bucks. They'll be worth a thousand by the end of the week. That is all that's happening. Yeah, I, I get the value of a limited edition sneaker or a limited
0: edition football shirt. But the way that I've kind of been described this to me is that football clubs in particular are beginning to look at this and go, well, we can sell you limited edition videos of a particular goal. Yeah. Right? Unfortunately, being an Newcastle fan, there aren't very many of them in the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't understand why people are going quite so crazy for them. Um, well,
2: yeah, I mean, I guess... It's a when, digital asset. It's,
0: it's not it a, is a digital asset.
2: Right? This is where I'm getting confused because what I use an NFT for is a marker or a key ID for my database. And therefore, I know that if and most people use their email address as a unique identifier for their for various email various sites that they work on, so and that's that's fine. So an NFT works perfectly for me and a data database um, system integration point of view. But for mm. someone to take something, create an NFT which is perfect for their own data system, and say, look, okay, now I've assigned an NFT to that clip. And now I know that that clip only exists to this NFT. And when I sell it to someone, I now know that is owned by that person. That I understand. But the fact that someone's now buying that token for millions, I don't understand. Because essentially what's happening is, it's like if I went and bought, I don't know, I bought this mouse and I kept the receipt. The receipt is a digital representation of this physical thing. And I'm selling this receipt to somebody for millions. (laughs) And that's what I don't understand. I'm missing a trick there. Like, I'm st- I've still got the mouse. I'm still playing with the NFT. The, you know, everyone's still using this thing, but I've got the receipt for millions of pounds, which suggests that I own this thing. Now, does that mean I get the royalties off the back of it? Does that mean I get all of that stuff? Those are the questions that still haven't been answered because no one's talked about what does it mean when you own an NFT? But all I know right now is someone has a receipt of this mouse and they're willing to pay thousands of it, even though they don't have, they don't have it. I'm still using it. All I've done is I've sold them the receipt, saying Look, I've got or this phone. I will use this phone. I'll continue to use it. I'll do this thing, but you can have my receipt for a million pounds and people are buying it. And I don't understand that aspect. I'm not an expert on
1: NFTs, by the way. Um, this is pretty much my first conversation on them. Um, but in the in the example, when they sell, when they're being sold in the secondary market on like eBay, are they just selling the right of that NFT? or Are they selling this, the album along with it? That's what I'm not really understanding.
2: Because in, in... this is the thing. So my view is, it's like in the old days. I remember one of my one of my friends bought a signed autograph of a of, of some football player. And they came with a certificate of authenticity that looked like it was done by Windows 95, right? Anyone could have produced that certificate of authenticity. How do we know that that certificate is authenticated? Yes, was there a track of provenance? I guess what the, what an NFT would do is if you have the NFT, you will see a track of provenance. And actually, I can see that that came directly from the NBA's. So therefore, that NFT belong has gone through the process, has, has been issued, and it's now with you and i'm now buying it but with that i get to buy that clip so that clip now belongs to me legally because NFT sold it to you and everyone else and i can see where it is but my point is but if the n if the nba are already able to do that then why do they need nfts which is blockchain based or not why not just have a centralized database where where they have all of the clips and they just sell those clips on on a website and say you can buy this clip and then everyone's got a serial number why do you need a token that's where if you're gonna do that why are you going to have a token that you can trade or anything like that? Just the, the NF, they can just turn around and say, right, here's your serial number for this token. And you just go online and click it and buy it. You can buy clips just like you can buy anything. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is the concept. The token for me adds as a unique identifier to track through database changes for me, that's what I use it for. But I don't understand how these people are selling that aspect.
0: And then there's the environmental cost, right? At the minute, it's still not clearly understood, but an NFT, a GIF cat GIF NFT, is something like the the same energy consumption as two households within the EU over a year. It's kind of crazy, and the hidden the hidden environmental costs might be astonishingly high. I mean, I guess. Michael it that's might be tempting to go Let, let's let's look at let's look at all the goals that Patrick Bamford scored in 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 high you know uh, uh, where he's doing a high low bolt celebration and sell that as an nft but then actually as a leader of a business that that's focused on sustainability it must be fairly horrifying to know that people aren't really thinking about the knock on costs of of this tech and what it might mean for the environment and it's
2: just hidden just on that just on that, David, is that that's the that's the the far end. You could create NFT on on a on a network that creates almost zero environmental costs. Because say if you have a proof of stake network which right. doesn't need any mining, that, that would have zero costs. That would have less sort of a cost than you do in a Google search, as an example. But again, I can now now we open another can of worms. I can take Patrick Bamford's thing, put it on this network, issue an NFT, then take it and put it on another network is an nft how many blockchain networks are there well i've counted probably 10000 that's popped up in the last 2 minutes that we've spoken maybe another more comes up so how many how many nfts on how many different networks how many different tokens who owns the registry of all of the nfts in circulation all of this none of that is been answered no one is putting that conceptualizing that it's just simple hey i've got this receipt and i want to sell it who wants to buy it and someone thinks that it's going to be worth a lot of money and they buy it and that's what i don't understand
1: yeah give me a give me a physical limited edition record any day of the week <laughs> rather than this right um at least there's something tangible to to, to get mine i think i think the, like the gorillas um concept um is interesting but it kind of highlights certainly what what we've learned as our on our journey with pilo with regards to the sort of um Sometimes the lack of objectivity around sustainability within just the, the global landscape, right? In in so many different sectors, and like that's that's the challenge that I think is being identified with a lot of the the noise around greenwashing. But in in the gorillas analogy, right? Like you know they're you know championing no plastic beaches, presumably in their last album, and then they're trying to do something innovative, but haven't conceptualised the the energy cost of. You know, that they're clearly in contradiction to one another, but my my view is, is that they're trying to do something good and that my belief is in humanity, right? Because I'm a naive, naive optimist, right? <laughs> they probably just haven't give, been given the level of information. But when 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 you look at sustainability, like you have to look at it holistically. Like Hilo started with quite a linear um, small view really, to be honest, because it was a couple of entrepreneurs who were consumers trying to make a difference. like that's how we started we're now at this point where like in order to to apply sustainability effectively and this is across every sector you can't just look at it within the lens of one one thing and that's that's where the challenges are is like you've got energy you've got water consumption you've got eutrophication you've got materials end of life beginning of life just to give some examples of like more of a product-based decision and this applies itself to like you know, the idea of, okay, is a physical CD that's made from X, you know, with a signed gorilla's um, signature on, worse or better for the environment than a highly energy intensive mined NFT, right? And I don't know actually because I don't have the data, but you have to look at it within the bandwidth and and, and a broad enough scope to make that decision. Um, And that's why the challenge is so big, but Yeah. It's it's, it's super interesting that even in this sort of question, there's the same sort of questions being raised that there are across the board.
0: Look, Amber, I appreciate that this is possibly a little bit out of your usual comfort zone with regards to it. I mean, I've had three or four conversations about NFTs and I'm still a bit perplexed. But if if there's an NFT available for something that you're really interested in, are you realistically going to buy it as a consumer?
3: Absolutely not. No, um, <laughs> I just I, I kind of I get it a bit more. Obviously, this conversation has, has definitely helped because beforehand it was going completely over my head. So, I, I yeah I, I get it, but it's more so like I don't understand its value. Um, like yeah. you were saying before about having a receipt and then having the mouse. Like to me, that doesn't make any sense. Like surely you just want to buy the mouse, right? What what's kind of the the value? What's the point of having the receipt? If we obviously just going back to that analogy. Um, yeah, and I think in, in this example, again, it doesn't make a great deal of sense purely because they seem like real advocates for um, like the environment or obviously they seemed as though they had this, um, you know, the title of their, their album is obviously Plastic Beach. And I think they've kind of developed a following for themselves around that. And now a lot of people from like I've just had a look at like Twitter and stuff and a lot of people seem really disappointed that like they've obviously gone and they followed this band for these set reasons and now they seem to almost be completely contradicting themselves it's a little bit hypocritical on my sort of yeah from my take um yeah I don't know I don't like say I don't understand the value I'm sure there is some sort of value because people probably know things that we don't if they want to pay this much money for them um but yeah I, I'm not convinced just yet to be honest
2: I mean people said the same thing about bitcoin and i was a big proponent of bitcoin as david knows from very early days i, I always and me and david were at the intellectual forum in um in cambridge university uh, yeah, i was about my that one <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we were we were talking about how Bitcoin is a social. It's raising certain aspects of so- society. Yeah. Like when we say Bitcoin is all fake, well, actually, all money is fake, and then you start exploring that, and suddenly you realize, holy sh! We what, what, none of this exists. No, none of the money fear, none of that exists. It's just all based on on confidence. And now more people have confidence on Bitcoin than and then dollars. So that's that's what it is. That's where value is. Your thing about what the analogy I use about receipt and the mouse uh, It was a bit to, to makes it maybe a bit dumbed down to suggest that So if you've got digital aspect like a, a like a music like an mp3 you can't own you can own the receipt but you can't own the actual thing because the actual thing doesn't belong to you when you buy that you buy what you call a license to listen to it you don't actually have ownership to it the only way you can have ownership of that thing is if you go to them and say look i'm buying you i'm buying the master records and it goes and it's a legal agreement What they're suggesting is the NFT becomes what you instead of a legal agreement being drawn up, the NFT works as what you call the bearer bonds, which means if I bear this NFT, then I legally own that digital asset. And that's trying to create that link in that. But then then comes the legal side of things. Do you actually (laughs) who said so? oh, by this court of law, well, then if you have this contract, then that is the legal contract, not the damn NFT that you have. It's like, what? It's a mess. And that's the thing. It's like, if you went up to court and said, look, I have this digital coin of that representation that owned me, the lawyer, the judge will say, well, how do I know that represents that? Oh with this contract well then that's the legal contract that says you own it not the nft why are you adding this extra extra layer and this is the sort of thing that i'm getting confused with where people are buying something and then supplementing it with a legal contract well then you don't need this you just have the legal contract what is going on and i'm I, and listen I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you i'm confused about what is going on out there because people are buying nfts supported by legal contract, to own an item, which actually they only need this and they don't need this. And if someone can explain to me why you need the two, please come and talk to David and get that through to me because I want to know. I genuinely have researched and looked. So I was was part of the Accord Project, which was trying to get computable contracts into law. And, you know, it's very interesting what the law society are doing. But this I just don't get. I don't understand that.
0: Well, there's a call to action there, but let's move on to something more grounded. Ugg have launched um, a vegan boot shoe uh, to help uh, as part of their commitments to uh, combat climate change, um, their president, Andrea O'Donnell, said. Um, I was quite keen to include this, Michael, because obviously I kind of feel like it's a bit like a Tesla and the rest of the automobile industry uh, kind of (laughs) analogy. Hilo were out there. You were making vegan shoes, corn shoes, carbon neutral, and now I see that Socony are beginning to kind of get in there with with a with a lifestyle shoe with with the jazz and now UGA releasing stuff how do you view this is this a positive that what you're that what you've been saying is beginning to break through and that, that it begins to help i suppose improve the the level of uh, awareness around what you're doing um, or is it a bit of a, of a greenwash you know if it can make one lifestyle vegan shoe why can't their entire range be a vegan shoe
1: yeah, there's, there's a much wider discussion there around complexity of supply chain with footwear, which I won't bore you with, but it, it's <laughs> it's not easy. Um, even though a shoe that you put on does seem quite easy, um, I've been my mind has been blown by some of the complexity. I think I think in short, we are genuinely in business to make a change, right? And and true sustainability is a scale game. That's just the reality of it. You know, if if um, we're going to make sort of meaningful um, strides within that. Space and um, to combat you know, um, uh, carbon levels, etc. You've got to have like big brands driving it forward because, like, Hilo, for all the will in the world, um, aren't selling millions of pairs of shoes at the moment. I'll say, um, the reason I want to sell millions of shoes is because that's where the impact is being driven. Because the better the processes and the better the manufacturing of those shoes, the bigger the impact globally. So, the likes of UGG. You know, Nike have launched capsule collections. Adidas with Parley, um, variety of other brands going after it. Like, I, I, I'm never one to hammer them because, like, generally I, I want to see that. And if they see good response from, um, uh, from their customers, guess what? They're going to pivot more of their range. They're going to pivot more of their business model, and they're going to, you know, holistically drive more impact because they're selling way more than a startup like ours at the moment. Um, so it's an interesting one. I do think from a consumer level, like, you know, the people that really do care can smell the bullshit. Um, and I'm not saying that this is at all. I, I really am not. But, you know, it's getting more and more, um, there's getting more and more objectivity behind um, sustainability um, and and the space in general. And over the next years, it will be interesting to see who, who kind of is exposed for that and, and who isn't. I'm I'm going to put the
0: spotlight on Amber a bit and see what your opinion is uh, on this because I like trail running and like distance running and in endurance running, unfortunately at the minute, the materials that they use in those shoes and stop me, Michael, if I'm speaking out of turn here, but at the minute, it's difficult to replicate the kind of support that you need with the the materials available for for a vegan shoe. So therefore, I I look for, for... brands that that espouse kind of run for good principles and at least they're trying to offset their carbon footprint in other ways until hopefully um, a company becomes available that can produce the kind of shoes that I would look to run in. That said, um, if there was a company like Hilo and they did the whole range and they did support and they, they were able to produce the kind of shoes that I wanted, I'd, I'd get behind that one company and buy their range of shoes. Amber, is it something that's kind of crossed your mind? Because you run a lot. I know you buy Brooks at the minute. Um, I do,
3: yeah. It's, to be honest, it's, it's, it's really not. It's not something I've thought about. It's not something that I think – I don't know. It's, I think when I pick a trainer, it comes down to sort of a couple of things. It comes down to, I suppose, the comfort and obviously just ensuring that you're getting a pair that are not going to you know, give you sort of tons of injuries down the line. And then I think also – I think I'm going to have to say sort of the way it looks in all honesty. Um, so that's why I wasn't overly keen on the UGG shoes. Um, they're a bit sort of garish, a bit out there, but um, yeah, no, it's not something I thought about to be honest until this conversation and starting to look into it a bit more. And I think from now on, I probably would be a bit more conscious with it. Um, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I've not, like I said, I've not thought of it beforehand, but I definitely think moving forward, it will be something that I look into a little bit more. Um, but I think the only concern would be, as you said, is it going to be able to sort of be as, as good or do as good or have as much support as some of the brands that I'm sort of used to? I think you get really sort of set, especially with running shoes. I think you get quite like set in your ways or you become like really accustomed to like a certain brand then to sort of to change that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll have, to, I'll have to give it a go. It's not something I thought about at all.
1: I think just just with that answer, um, David and Amber, like, there's also um, another reason to be excited about Ug and Big Brands talking about this because their marketing budgets are a million X, like a brand like ours, and um, providing sort of kind of transparency or at least information around why this is relevant. Because I think apparel, to a certain degree, and clothing has had has had a bit of exposure, uh, more so than footwear, right? Like, you know, how, how clothing's made and, and, and end-of-life issues with clothing and you know the, the emissions generated through that whole industry like footwear is now starting to get that same level of of, of focus you know to, to actually contextualize it like um, the average running shoe um, emits about fourteen uh, kilograms of co2 in its um, LCA life cycle assessment high low's running shoe is seven point um, eight so the the difference is is meaningful if you extrapolate that over millions of pairs right um so you can you know it's i don't think it's, it's going to be very challenging to make a zero impact tube, um unless you know there's serious innovation um but you can definitely improve your consumption habits and i think as a brand personally that's what we're trying to champion is just that one percent improvement
2: yeah yeah
1: no, I think it's super I'm, interesting. Go on, Sorry, she said.
2: No, I was saying as as a runner, like um, I when I say I'm a runner, I I I ran a marathon in when my daughter was born, and since then I haven't even run for a bus. But about two weeks ago, I sent I sent I went to this place called Run Run Repeat or something like that, and they they can give you advice on the running shoes, and you know I, I had to give them a wet paper towel off my feet and all sorts and i just said look i just want to be comfortable and one of the things they said is i need cushioned shoes so when does i mean does hilo we say you're a running thing but do you guys kind of do all sorts of i mean how does it work do you guys like build only stuff for yourselves do you you know is it tailor-made you know how does because yeah. i would buy i'm looking to buy one so i'm I'm just curious so i'm now i'm now a consumer <laughs> sorry david oh. yeah i think i think what amber said in reference
1: is really important right like the the majority of drivers even for myself is like aesthetic um and comfort slash that performance angle as a holistic approach and david you you referenced tesla at the beginning of the conversation and that's why they've been unbelievable is they've shown that you don't have to compromise more or less in 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 terms of performance in fact it's a better performing car than a a petrol car and possibly it's better looking or at least competitive within that that's what we're trying to do like we want um Sustainability to be an extra reason to buy, not 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 the first one. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, to answer your to answer your question, to actually start to bespoke um, shoes to to customers kind of goes against the DNA of sustainability. The reason when you look at our shoe, it's so minimalist, is because when you start to add, like David mentioned, sort of layers of complexity that don't necessarily need to be there from an engineering point of view, like a ton of padding or a ton of this, and, and certain shoes do require that, David, but for our shoe at the moment, it doesn't require that. You then add in more materials, which, guess what, have their own supply chains, which, guess what, have their own emissions, right? So the very nature of sustainability within fashion and, and and in particular footwear is predicated on simplicity. So so for us, like our business model has to be simple, our supply chain has to be simple, and our product has to be simple. And I think the way that you express... So easily and simply, like um, around NFTs and the pound coin, like it was so true. It resonated with me. Like if if it's if it's really complicated and difficult to understand, then like how does that make sense? And if our shoe was like thirty components with all of different colours and and different options, it kind of goes against the inherent reason for our existence. Yeah.
0: Look, we've got a couple of minutes left, and so I have got one last article that I thought was just. Hilarious, but at the same time, quite worrying. Um, It was in The Guardian. Uh, There's basically a $100 million geoengineering research program proposed to help dim the sun, which to me, frankly, sounds like it's something out of The Matrix or that episode of of The Simpsons where Monty Burns sticks a big... um, shield over the sun over springfield um it seems rather extreme it also seems like almost saying that we should give up on industry to do stuff that's sustainable and, and go for quite worryingly huge kind of climate action projects that will cost a huge amount of money and i was i was having a think about this um it's interesting, uh, Shahad, that you mentioned about using Google earlier. I didn't realize that there are sustainable search engines and there are companies that are beginning to talk about deleting all their emails and alerts and turning off their routers at night because of the cost of data centers. And I just wondered, as as people who are leading businesses, whether this is kind of those those smaller actions that I suppose can all add up to make a, a much bigger um, environmental impact, if those are things that you're considering.
2: Myself, yeah, we... we... We try to make sure that um, we don't, I mean, one of the reasons we don't capture a lot of data is purely because we're very tenant focused. So that'd be cheating to say we don't capture data because we're trying to save the environment. We're actually not capturing data because I personally um, as a tenant don't want that and I want other companies not to do that so that's more of a policy decision rather than a green decision um, even if it was completely renewable we probably still wouldn't do it um, but I think it does it definitely does impact our decision making um, like I use DuckDuckGo as a, as a security thing um, but they also do, and they don't capture any data like so you've you went back to your history you'd find nothing um, so those sort of things saves does save time, so it does save energy. Um, but I, I guess the whole concept of you know, I don't know, trying to block out the sun. um Well, I mean, I guess you know, the, the, in Abu Dhabi they were gonna because it was getting get too hot during the summer. um They were they had they, in their plan now it's a winter woke up But remember before when it was supposed to be a summer World up where it's like fifty degrees, they were gonna block out the sun using these big you know canopies. And so it's nothing new. It's, it's things that being people have been talking about for years. Um, dim in the sun well I don't know I'd prefer just capture the energy and use it for other goods but that's me yeah I think, I, I think like there's two ways
1: of thinking about it right like number one which I have to spend my time focusing on because I don't think I'm smart enough and also like if if, if if I was yeah if I was the guy trying to score I'd be worried for the future of humanity but like number one is just like the one percent mentality of, of of still hanging on to improving our impact and that's you know, I can only focus really on high-low because that's the capacity that I have um to just drive our innovation and drive forward our focus. And I do believe like business will 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 take the world forward in that regard. And you know the other high lows out there in their other industries can make a big impact if everyone's thinking in that uniform sort of way. But like number two is that that doomsday picture, which is a bit like sad to think about, but that's like the Elon Musk of this world of thinking about other territories for us to inhabit. And like, as much as I, I kind of am laughing at in the sun. I'm also quite grateful that there's people out there with where we're at with regards to climate change that are thinking in this manner, because um, yeah, <laughs> you know, we're not, making, we're not doing a good job of it at the moment. Like that's just the reality. Right. And um, you know, people do need to think, you know, relatively doomsday and, um, and in in, in today's, Mind as well. Um, I worry with thinning the sun though. Um, what the impact is on photosynthesis, which is pretty important to uh, <laughs> like yeah, breathing. I haven't done biology in a while, but like I do know photosynthesis and trees are pretty good capture of carbon, um, which is everything that we're trying to kind of work on. Um, and yeah, plants do need the sun, so yeah, it'll be interesting.
0: Look, I want to thank you all for your time today. Uh, thanks for, for taking the time to, to join me on the show. Um, we will make sure that all of the links to the articles are shared in the show notes, as well as links through to Open Bricks and to Hilo. Uh, so, uh, yeah, look, um, if anyone is looking for a running shoe as well at the minute, it's getting nicer weather. Definitely have a look at Hilo. Um, but, yeah, thanks, everyone.
2: Thank you very much, David. Really appreciate it.